Today I went to the, to the Google search engine on the internet and I typed in two words, life's problems. Life's problems. Now, on, on a search engine, when you get a hit, that means that there is an article or there is a website that deals with that particular subject matter. And so when I w- typed in life problems, I wanted to see how many hits there were, and there were 1,230,000,000 hits, according to Google. That means if we had the time, we could go through 1,230,000,000 websites that have something to do with dealing with life's problems. Do you get the sense that if you have some problems, you're not alone? And everybody, they, they, you know, the, um, uh, there were websites written by mental health experts, by, by spiritual people, by uh, self-described gurus. I mean, you could find the articles by everybody. And so I was thinking, how, how do we deal with problems today? How are, how are people in America coping with problems? Everybody copes differently. Some people cope with alcohol or drugs, and that just brings on a whole new set of problems, doesn't it? It, it masks the one problem, but it brings additional problems into your life. Some people like to hibernate. They just close off and they shut themselves off, and some people run. The only problem is your problems follow you, right? They're going to find you. If you're locked up in a place or if you're on the run, they still are going to find you. Some try to ignore problems like they don't exist, like they might just go away. Some people, well-meaning, say, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have problems. <laughs> Their theology's messed up if they tell you that. Because John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. So if you, don't have, if you don't ever have any problems, then I'm not sure you're real. I'm not sure you're in this world. Because Jesus said, we're going to have them. Everyone here has giant problems in their life. Either you will... Either you have or you do. We're in a series called Chain Breaker. And the reason it's singular is because Jesus is the only chain breaker. No one can break the chains but him. But if, if he sets you free, he says in John 8, that you're free indeed. And so tonight I'm going to preach on the topic, breaking free from giants. Because we all have giant problems in our life. Take your Bible and open it to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 Hopefully we'll learn some truths tonight. We're going to look at the passage and see three, three truths from it. But then we're going to give you some real life application that I think you'll find helpful in dealing with giant problems in your life. At least that's my, my prayer is that they would be helpful to you. We're going to read the, um, the first, what I have, the first four verses, I believe. 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 through 4. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Zokah, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Zokah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to see in 1 Samuel 17, and keep your Bible open, okay, because we're going to refer to a lot of verses. I just didn't want to have to read them all at the very beginning, okay? So I hope you'll keep your Bible open. But we're going to see that God gives us a whole lot of details about Goliath. 
a lot more details than he normally goes into uh, uh, concerning any one particular enemy of God's people. Why does God go into so much detail about Goliath? I thought about that today. Why, why do we know so much about him? And I, th- I think here's why. It's just a simple thing. Because every one of us have Goliaths in our life. Every one of us have these giant problems, these giant issues that we face, and God wants to show us how we can deal with them. This, is a, this passage is a blueprint for dealing with them. So Israel's, they're gathered to battle. They're on one hillside, the Philistines on the other, and the valley of Elah runs through the floor between the two hillsides. Three simple truths. Number one, Goliath is a big foe. If you know anything about what six cubits in a span means, literally, it, it means nine feet, nine inches. He, you know, I, I like the Buick commercial where Shaquille O'Neal gets in and his knees are up by the steering wheel. Imagine two and a half feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. That's how big Goliath was. He was massive. He was huge. Verse 5 says he had a bronze helmet and he had a coat of mail. Just, just, his, just his part to cover his, his organs, his coat of mail, it tells us, weighed 125 pounds. Now, how strong do you have to be just to have some body armor that you're carrying around everywhere you go? You're ready to fight in it, and it's 125 pounds is how much it weighs. His spear was 10 feet long. The, the tip of his spear, according to this passage, if you do the math, it was 15 pounds. Just the metal tip. Now, I looked up because I wanted to compare it. A shot ball, like for a shot putter, a shot ball is 16.01 pounds. Okay, so it's only one pound more than the tip of Goliath's spear. And can you imagine having to, to, to throw that thing and, and to do battle with it? He had to have been strong. It's estimated that he was probably 450 to 500 pounds. But don't think that he was blubber. Because at nine feet, nine ounces, nine inches, he was probably pretty, pretty strong, pretty solid. It's an understatement to say he was massive and You know, all of our Goliaths in our life are massive, aren't they? You you know what a small problem is? It's what your neighbor has, right? I mean, mean, none of our problems are small. They're they're all giant. It's not like we're dealing with the 1 in 31 Cleveland Browns, okay? We're dealing with the evil empire, the the undefeated New England Patriots with Tom Brady at the the quarterback spot, okay? Our, Our enemy... Is not an easy foe. Our, our giants are huge. And, and not only was he massive, he was insulting. Goliath was insulting. Daily he came to the valley floor and he would challenge Israel to a winner take all. You send one person down here to fight me and if he kills me, we're your slaves. If I kill him, you're our slaves. Every day he would do that, but nobody would come. In verse 10, he says, I defy the armies of Israel. That word defy means to taunt or to ridicule or to insult. And so he was taunting them in the valley. He was ridiculing them. It'd be like saying, you bunch of yellow-bellied cowards. Come and some, send somebody down here to fight. And they wouldn't. Satan uses our giants to insult us and to taunt us and to ridicule us. And he tells us, you know, if your faith was real, you wouldn't be having these issues. Verse 11 says, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The word dismayed means crushed or shattered. Goliath was massive, he was insulting, he was intimidating. Our giants are like that. Now, truth number two, not only was he a big foe, but Goliaths must be faced. 
you got to face them at one, at one point or another. They weren't going to get out of this without having to do battle with Goliath. Daily he issued a, response, a, a challenge. Daily there was no response. I could just hear the soldiers. You know, Goliath would be down there saying, send somebody down here. And they'd be like, you know, I'd go, but I got a touch of the flu. Well, I, I'd go, but I got a sore throat today. Or I'd go, because I, but I've got an ingrown toenail that just might, might be a problem when I go to fight. They, they all had excuses. They saw him. They feared him, and they fled day after day. The same challenge, the same results. So I thought about that today. I thought, you, you know, you and I have to face our Goliaths because they're not going to go away. We can act like they don't exist, and we can try to ignore them. It'd be great if the Scripture told us, tells us that Goliath packed it in and went home. He got tired of messing with them, and he just said, I'm done, I'm going to go home. But it doesn't. It says for 40 days he continued day and night going out there twice a day and challenging them. He blasphemed their God. He mocks them. Look, look at verse 16. The Philistines drew near and present, this Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So 80 times he goes out there and no response. Goliath's not only going, not going well, let me back up. You know, we want to ignore our giants. We, we want to say, you know, well, maybe the marriage will get better. Or, or maybe the finances will clear themselves up on their own. Or maybe the bitterness is slowly going to leave. But here's what I found about giants in our lives. The, the more we let them linger, the more they mock and taunt us. The more our problems really get after us. You have to face them. You know, as pastors, I thought, I thought about it, uh, us as pastors. And we get in trouble because... A lot of pastors are afraid to confront sin. When, when they see sin, they're afraid to deal with it. Even though the Scripture says to, um, they're afraid to deal with it. Nobody likes confrontation. I, I, when every time I take those tests, it shows I do not like confrontation. The only problem is it comes with leadership. If you're a leader, at times you're going to have confrontation. Sunday, I'm at South Campus. A man who joined the church since they've been in the new building. A man I don't know other than I had seen him the night that we had the question and answer session for Will. I've, I've preached my heart out. They're singing the final chorus. I'm making my way to the welcome center and, and I don't even get out the door into the lobby area and he's right beside me. And he says, hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. He says, where does it say in the Bible that the, the, the our music is supposed to mimic that of the world now how do you how do you answer that question in a short period of time i said well ephesians chapter 5 says that we're to sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and, and he says yeah but but hymns and i said we just sang holy 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 what do you want he says yeah but there's just one hint that was just one hymn and i said so what's the problem with the other music if it glorifies god then, then we should sing it. If it doesn't glorify God, we're not going to sing it. And he said, the hymns are straight out of Scripture. And I knew then it wasn't a fair fight. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask him, show me just the words to just as I am in Scripture. Or softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. But, but I realized that that wasn't the time to, to deal with it. And so I just told him, I said, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Because by now, people were going past us. And the whole purpose of me being at the Welcome Center was to greet people. Now, I could have left it alone. I could have just left it at that. 
But I don't think that would have been the right thing to do as a pastor. And so I looked his phone number up and I called him Monday morning. And I said, listen, I don't think you and I got finished with our conversation yesterday. I don't think it was probably the right time to have it um, or the right, the right way to have it. And so I just wanted to call and talk to you. And we talked for 20 minutes. And he said, well, I thought it would just be a quick question and answer. And I thought to myself, no, you didn't. <laughs> but I didn't say that. But I didn't say that. But I called him out on his attitude. And I said, listen, sir, I said, eight years ago when we were putting the vision together to start this campus, God clearly gave us a vision. And I went and met with the pastor of Greenwood and the pastor of Plano and the pastor of Bethany. And I told all three of them, we're not going to do church like you do church. This is going to be a more contemporary, relaxed feel. People are going to be welcomed in shorts. The music's gonna, it's not going to be the music you're singing. And, and I said, we're not going to change the vision God gave us just for you told him I said we're not going to do that he says well I've started lots of churches and he said my wife and I started two churches in 40 years or he says the one, one of the ones we started we were at 500 in the cornfield in Indiana and by the time we left it was 2000 I said yeah but that's 40 or 50 years ago that's not today and the culture is completely different today and I said the bottom line is we're just doing what God told us to do and you know if if you want to sing the first second and fourth verse of every hymn, there are probably 45 churches in the Warren Baptist Association you can join and do that. Unfortunately, Eastwood's not going to be one of them. Now, I, I just tell you that, not because I want you to see that I had confrontation. It wasn't about that. It wasn't even about the issue. I just want you to see that sometimes when a Goliath raises its head, you have to deal with it. And, and, and what this guy was trying to do, we, we, we all understand what he was doing. We're, we've all been around the block. We've all been in school and know what a bully is. And you have to stand up to the bully because if you don't stand up to the bully, he's going to continue to bully. I just let him know, look, I'm not going to put up with it. I stood up to the Goliath. It wasn't easy. Probably one of the most difficult phone calls I've had in a long time. But he wasn't going away. The only reason I remember him from the night we had the question and answer session from Will is because he asked the same question three times, wording it three different ways about are we going to have more traditional music in worship now that Mark's gone and you're here. And, and he kept getting the same answer. No, no, we're not. And so that's why he cornered me. And so finally I just dealt with him and said, I, you're, you're the giant and I'm going to deal with you. Look at verse 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Now, don't miss that. We read that and, and we, don't, we don't always get it. Look back at verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. So he starts out in the valley. And I think the scripture implies that by now he's getting tired of waiting in the valley and he's starting to, he's starting to infringe on Israel's territory. He's, he's making his way up the hillside a little bit more each and every day. It says he has come up. They've, they say, have you not seen this man who's come up? Surely, verse 25 says, he has come up to defy Israel. Why is he coming up? Why is he no longer coming out? Now he's coming up because nobody would face him. Because nobody would confront him. He starts to take ground. 
and dominates their thoughts. Friends, that's exactly what the giants do in our life if we don't confront them. They begin to take ground in our heart and in our life and they dominate our thoughts and they consume us. We don't face them. Our problems aren't satisfied in staying in the valleys of life. They want to come up. They want to gain ground. Edmund Burke said, All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. I believe there were good men on the hillside, on Israel's hillside. I believe they were good men, all right? But I think they were afraid and they did nothing. And evil was in the business of triumphing. There's an interesting twist in the passage here. In verses 1 through 11, it talks about the, the potential battle. And in verse 12, it, it begins to talk about David. No longer really talking about Goliath or the fact the Philistines were there. Not even talking about the Israeli army. It's talking about David. Now, why is that significant? Because in chapter 16, the previous chapter, Samuel has anointed David the next king of Israel. And so David knows that at some point he's going to be king. We're not sure of his age here, but most commentators believe that he was probably a young teenager. 12, 13 at the most, 14 years old at the time. When Samuel goes to see Jesse and he says, God's told me that one of your offspring is going to be the next king. What's the first thing Jesse does? He brings in Eliab, the strongest, the biggest, the oldest Samuel looks at him and he thinks, now that is king material. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of guy that we need to be king. How does God respond to that? Again, if you have it open, look at chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse begins to pray to all the sons through. He's got eight of them. He, he brings seven in, and Samuel's like, you know, I, don't, I still don't believe I've seen the king. Do, do you have any, any others? And he's like, well, I got this little shepherd boy, the youngest. He's out taking care of the sheep. I can, I can bring him in if you want, but I doubt it's him. And, and so... He gets Jesse, Jesse gets David, brings him in, and sure enough, David's the one. And so he, Jesse now sends David to go to the battle lines. There are three sons that are at the battle lines. The reason David wasn't there is because you had to be 20 years old to serve, and out of the eight, only three of them evidently were 20 years old, and so they were there, and the rest of them were too young, David being the youngest. And Jesse hadn't heard anything, and so he really doesn't, he sends him with bread and cheese, but he's really not about taking him a snack. He really wants intel. He wants to know what's going on. Bring me back word of what's happening. So David gets there just at the time that Goliath is delivering one of his daily mockings. And David looks around. He can't believe what he's hearing and the fact that nobody's responding. He hears this, this Philistine blaspheming their God, and nobody's doing anything. So he says, what happens for the, for the guy who kills him? And they said, oh, the king has promised you get to marry his daughter and, and your father's household is tax exempt. David said, okay, works for me. Look at verse 26 of chapter 17. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies 
of the living God. Now, his older brother overhears David say that. And he gets hot. He confronts David. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. Eliab looks at him and he says, you cocky little brat. Who do you think you are coming down here and, and saying to us, why isn't anybody fighting this Philistine? Now, why was, why was Eliab so hot? What, I think a couple reasons. One is David was showing courage that he lacked. Not just him, but all of the soldiers there on the hillside. David had courage that none of them had. But the second thing is, he knew that Samuel had said that he was the one who looked like a king, and yet David was anointed the king. Now, when Eliab goes off, I ask myself this question. Think about it. Your, your older brother jumps you in front of everybody, just verbally attacks you, and you're, you're, a, you're a guy. Why doesn't David fight with Eliab? I mean, isn't that the normal brother response? You know, I'll show you a cocky little brat, and, and then they're scrapping. Somebody's got to break it up. That's the way it would normally happen, but the reason David doesn't fight Eliab is because Eliab's not the enemy. David recognizes that. He's not the enemy. Goliath is the enemy. We have to remember who and what the enemy is. Because at times, we battle the wrong things. We battle the wrong people because we're upset at the enemy and we take it out on others. David's focused more on Goliath than he was on Eliab. The third truth, Goliath is beaten by faith. He's beaten by faith. David's taken to Saul. The scripture tells us that when Saul was anointed king, he was head and shoulders above all of the men of Israel. It's estimated that Saul probably stood about six foot six. And Saul tries to put his armor on David. David's probably about five foot six and maybe 140 pounds soaking wet. Okay? And, and so the, 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 the armor just engulfs him. You know, I can see David, you know, he's supposed to be able to, to put the helmet onto where it comes down to here, and instead he's having to peek through holes because it's down to here on him or something. You know, it just doesn't fit. And he's like, I can't wear this. I can't, I can't do this. Now, Look back at verse 11 for a second. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They, they, they all were. Why, why, Saul is Israel's champ. Why isn't he fighting Goliath? I mean, he's a big man, bigger than anybody else on the hillside. Why isn't he? Because he's afraid and he's dismayed. Saul was the king of fear. David was the king of faith. Everyone here tonight is governed by one of those two attributes. You're either governed by fear or governed by faith. You're either walking by sight, that's fear, or you're walking by faith. I believe that the person walking by faith can experience fear. They're just not ruled by it. Saul was not only afraid, he was negative. Look at verse uh, 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David says, I got this. Verse 33. 
Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are youth, and he a man of war from his youth. What are the first words out of Saul's mouth? You can't do it. He's negative. Not only, not only is he a scaredy cat, but he's negative. Do you know anybody whose life is, is ruled by fear and by negativity? Because they're afraid of things, they just are always negative. I read this today and I loved it. I wrote it down. The difference between a pessimist and an optimist is the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity and an optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. I love that. David saw opportunity. Saul saw difficulty. So in verse 37, Saul finally agrees. And in one little sentence, he says more than, more than the words amount to. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Look what Paul, Saul says. Go and the Lord be with you. Now, if he really believed that God was with them, he'd be fighting. It shows you the spiritual emptiness of Saul's life because people that are spiritual, spiritually empty speak spiritual platitudes. I mean, it sounded good, right? Go and the Lord be with you. That's our king. You know, today people are like, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. God is good all the time, all the time God is good. And those are not wrong in and of themselves, but when they are said from an empty heart, they're nothing. It, Saul was speaking from an empty heart. He was, guard, he, was, he was captured by the fear in his life. We'll never, we'll never defeat any Goliath if the number one concern is how we look. Saul wanted to look good. He's a coward, but he wants to look good, so he tells him in front of all the men, go and the Lord be with you. If our number one concern is how we appear to other people, we'll never defeat the giants of our life. We, we've got to forget how we appear to anybody except to the Lord God. We need, to, we need to be like David. What did David do? He remembered what God had done in the past. He says in verse 37, he says, listen, the same God who allowed me to kill the bear and kill the lion will allow me to kill this Philistine. He remembered what God had done, and he said, if God could do it then, he can do it now. Saul's response is, the Lord be with you. I love that David, in verse 37, gives the credit to the Lord. He doesn't say, I'm going to go down there and kill that guy for you. He says, the Lord's going to deliver him. David could have said, you know what? Saul, you're right. And I'm 5'6", 140 pounds. There's no way I can beat this guy. He's trained in warfare, and I'm trained in taking care of sheep, making sure they get to the barn, making sure they get fed, make sure they get watered. He's 30. He's a seasoned warrior. I'm 13. He weighs 500 pounds. There's just no way I can beat him. Let me tell you something. It is freeing. When you know you can face your Goliath and not have to be somebody else, but just be yourself. You know, God didn't call anybody here to be Beth Moore. He didn't call anybody here to be Franklin Graham. He called us to be who we are. And we can face our Goliaths because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We don't have to be somebody else. He tries to make David somebody else by giving him his armor. And David says, I can't do this. All I need is 
a slingshot, five stones, and the Lord God. And I'm going to win. Verse 40. It says, and David drew near the Philistine. It's a picture of stepping out in faith. Catherine Marshall said, faith is not even worthy of the name until it erupts into action. Faith acts. Goliath sees David coming down the hillside. And he, he does a double take. He's like, really? And he says, are you sending a dog with a stick to fight me? Because David's got his little wooden slingshot with him. Tries to insult David, tries to intimidate David. He, verse 43 says he cursed David by his gods. David steps out in faith. Goliath tries to intimidate him. And that's exactly what the devil tries to do. When we try to step out in faith to face our, our giants, he tries to intimidate us. Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he'll give you into our hands. Back up in, four, in verse 44, Goliath has said, Listen, little boy, I'm going to break you up into pieces and feed you to the birds and to the beasts. David said, no, let me tell you what's really going to happen. What's really going to happen is I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take off your head. The birds and the beasts are going to feast on you, and we're going to kill all your brothers here, and there's gonna, there's, everybody's going to know there's a God in Israel. Now, I can just see the guys on the hillside. David, don't do that. You're just ticking him off. You're just making him mad. David didn't care. Why? Because he knew the battle was the Lord's. I don't care how big your Goliath is. I read this today. Compared to God, he's a pimple on a flea. He's nothing compared to God. I don't care how big he is. He's, he's, no, he's a pimple on a flea compared to the, to the bigness of God. Verse 48, David initiates the action. Don't miss that. He didn't wait for Goliath. He takes matters into his hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He takes a stone, takes his slingshot, flings it, and God took over from there. God guided that stone right into the small spot that was open on the forehead of that giant, and down he went. Dead as a piece of dry wood. I mean, he just dropped. The Israel troops on the hillside, um, they're kind of like a referee. They're like the referee at a, at, a, at a championship fight. They see Goliath go, and they're like, one, two, three. And when they realize he's not getting up, man, they come down swarming off the hillside, and they kill all the Philistines. All of a sudden, they have this great faith. So let me give you the life application. Here's where the rubber meets the road, and these are really quick, okay? If you've got problems in your life, life application number one is action has to be taken you got to do something about it. Once the enemy's identified, David jumped into action. 
Now, who moves so quickly from identification? How could he go from identification to action like that? I mean, he didn't even think about it. He just acted. Here's why. Because few giants are ever talked to death. He could have he said, you know, Goliath, you know, let's sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee and let's talk about this. No, that, that, wouldn't, have, that wouldn't have helped. He had to act. It's kind of like the guy who got pulled over by the state trooper for speeding. Y'all know about him? He rolled down his window, and uh, the trooper said, uh, I need your license. And as the guy was getting his license out, the trooper had a nightstick in his hand, went whap, smacked him in the head. Guy's like, oh, man, why did you do that? He said, well, that's how we treat speeders in our state. Goes back and writes a ticket, gives the man a ticket. He says, now, don't leave yet. Don't pull out yet. He walks around the car, and he takes his nightstick, and he taps it on the window where the passenger's seated passenger rolls down the window kind of timidly and he goes whap smacks him in the head guy's like man what did you do that for he says i was just making your wish come true he said my wish he said yeah you got a, you would have got a mile down the road and you said i wish you would have tried that on me <laughs> few enemies get talked to death you have to act we, we love to talk about our problems but we have to take action to deal with them Life application number two, attack the first giant you see. I mean, there were other giants. There, there were other enemies. The Philistines weren't the only enemies. There were the, the uh, Ammonites, the, the Hittites, the Midianites. There were all kinds of enemies. And David could have said, listen, I'll go fight on another front line. I don't want to deal with this guy, but hey, Saul, I'm with you. I'll go to, to this other group of troops and try to help you over there. No, Goliath was the immediate problem, and so he dealt with Goliath. I don't know about you, but most of us have more giants than, than we can handle. And so where do we start with the first giant we see? And if we see more than one at the same time, let me, let me help you here. Attack the biggest one. Attack the biggest giant you see. Here's why. Because when that giant falls, the rest of them don't look nearly as big as they did before that. And you realize, man, if God can take out that one, he can take out certainly all of these others. Truth number three, assault with the weapons at your disposal. Every one of you have some weapons at your disposal. Did David have anything besides five smooth stones and a slingshot? He did. Let me tell you what he had at his disposal. First of all, preparation. He knew how to use the slingshot. Why? Because he had killed a bear and he had killed a lion already. God had prepared him for this moment when he would face Goliath. Now, we don't have the smooth stones and the slingshot, but we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so as we get into the sword of the Spirit, and the sword of Spirit gets into us, we assault with the weapon at hand, so we have to be prepared. We, we've got to know how to use this. If, if this was the first time David had ever picked up a slingshot and a rock, he'd have been in trouble. But God had prepared him. And so we need to be confident in the word of God so that when the problem comes, we can use the preparation that we've had in the word of God. Not only that, he had prayer. In telling Goliath who was going to give him the victory, I, th I think at the same time he was asking God for the victory. When he says, God's going to deliver you into my hand, in a way he's saying, right God, you got this. I have faith and confidence that you are going to do this. Ephesians 6 talks about the, the spiritual armor we have. Do you, do you realize everything is defensive except for two things? You know, you got the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. They're all defensive. 
the only two offensive things that you and I have in our armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the second one is implied at the end of that passage, it begins to talk about prayer. That's the only other offensive weapon we have is prayer. And so David's using, he's using the, 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 pr- the, the prayer that he knows God will answer. And then the third thing is, David had protection. He had pr- now, now hold on, preacher, he, didn't, he couldn't wear Saul's armor. He didn't need it. He had the breastplate of righteousness. He had the helmet of salvation. He had the shield of faith. He knew that God was going to protect him. Listen, you never go into battle alone. Do you believe God is always with you? You remember the three Hebrews put into the fiery furnace? Nebuchadnezzar gets down and he looks and he starts to count feet and he says, didn't we throw three in there? And they're like, yeah, three king. And he says, but there's four sets of feet walking around in there. Who was the fourth? God showed up so that they wouldn't go through the fiery furnace alone. Jesus said, I, I, I'll never leave you. Truth number four, affirm God's greatness. I think some of the folks said, David, you can't win. David said, with God on my side, I can't lose. They said, David, he is too big. David said, he's so big, he's too big to miss. If you want victory, gaze at the enemy, but then look at the greatness of God. David just didn't focus on Goliath, he focused on God. The Bureau of Standards in Washington, D.C. says that when dense fog comes and sets in, all right, seven city blocks... A hundred feet deep, fog a hundred feet deep covering seven city blocks. They tell us that that fog is, that is, it's made up of less than one glass of water. Less than one glass of water can make enough fog to cover seven city blocks a hundred feet deep. That water is divided into 60 billion droplets. And those droplets, man, if the fog is thick, it blots out everything. You can't see anything. I tell you that because a lot, of, a lot of Christians have a cup full of troubles and they live in a world of fog. Anxiety, turmoil, struggle, strangle their thoughts. Folks, we've got a big God and he reaches out to us in a time of trouble and don't let a cup full of troubles blind you from God's greatness. If you, if you can't see right now, take his hand. You know why? He'll lead you home. If you can't see where you're headed, take his hand because you can trust him. The last thing, acknowledge that the fight is God's. How did David muster the the faith, the, the courage to do all this? Verse 47, he says, the problem's God, it's not mine. This Philistine is God's problem. He's just gonna use me to deal with it. Has God ever lost a battle? No, and he never will. About a thousand years later, one of David's descendants didn't descend into a valley. He ascended up a hillside. And he wasn't doing battle with a giant by the name of Goliath that day. He was doing battle with a couple of giants named Sin and Death. And that day, John chapter 19, verse 30 says that he said... It is finished. And with those words, he cut off the head of sin, cut off the head of death, 
and said, we don't have to worry about those anymore. Why did he do that? Because the fight was God's. You and I can have victory over every giant. Here's why. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We already have the victory. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from a position of victory because Jesus Christ has already won the battle. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. So whatever Goliath you face, listen, he is nothing compared to your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, um, that this story is in Scripture to illustrate to us the historical account of David fighting Goliath and how it gives us a blueprint for how we can fight the Goliaths, the giants that are in our life. God, I pray for myself and I pray for each of us here that we would walk by faith and not live by fear. That doesn't mean we won't ever be afraid, but when we are afraid, like David said in Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I will trust in God. So God, help us to trust you tonight with whatever situations we're dealing with. Knowing that you love us, Lord, I know that there's probably some here who, who can't see your hand in the situation in which they're dealing with. But God, I've seen over and over again in my life that when I can't see your hand, I just trust your heart. I know that you love me. And so God, I pray that they would know that tonight, that they would just trust your heart, the fact that you love them. During this invitation, I pray that our obedience would be pleasing in your sight now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight, you'll never have...